Can I give you a word that the Lord dropped in my heart months ago about this service? Of all the parables Jesus gives us in the Gospels, there are some that stand out and have in their own way gained more notoriety. Probably one of the first that many people would recognize is the parable of the prodigal son. But the one I want to focus on for just a few minutes this morning could be considered to be the most well-known. In fact, most would say it is the most well-known, and that is the story of the Good Samaritan. In fact, it's so well-known that many have used its name and the story it represents to give identity to such things as Samaritan ministry, Samaritan's purse, Samaritan insurance, Samaritan hospital, Samaritan inn, Samaritan house. There's one in Fort Worth and in many other cities. Uh, there's a Samaritan house. And people everywhere, believers and non-believers alike, can instantly know what you mean when you refer to someone as a good Samaritan. And I want to simplify it for you today, um, and that is this. And I'm going to ask for just the next 15 minutes, I'm going to try to, I'm going to honor the clock, if you will just sit tight with me and let me deliver the Word of the Lord, please. Respect the house of the Lord for just a few minutes here. When someone is referred to as a good Samaritan, it means three things, and these are the three things I want you to walk away from today, knowing this about what a good Samaritan, what they do. When someone is referred to as a good Samaritan, you are saying these three things about them. They are someone they see, they feel, and they act. Say that with me. A good Samaritan, they I recently read on the internet news about a distraught father from the Bronx in New York. In fact, it was just a, a couple of weeks ago I, because I knew I was going to be speaking on this day about Good Samaritan. It caught my attention. This man who was very distraught, holding his five-year-old daughter in his arms, he was at a subway station. He yelled out these words. They were in Spanish, but the English is, with God, with God, with God, here comes the train. He was yelling this to his wife in Spanish on the phone. And with his daughter in his arms, he leaped into the path of a southbound train, horrifying dozens of people standing by. The gentleman, the father, died, but his daughter miraculously escaped virtually unscathed. And her, his five-year-old daughter was able to crawl along the track bed to the outstretched arm of what the news reporter referred to as a good Samaritan who lowered himself down into the track to rescue the little girl. In a very dramatic way, this man who rescued the little girl was able to do three things. What did he do? He see, he feels, and the past tense, he saw, he felt, and he acted. That is what a good Samaritan will do. By the way, I, I, I feel the need to say this. Do you still believe this word has authority for our lives? Do you really, Bethesda, believe this word has authority for our lives? The way that you can truly answer the question, if this word has authority in your life, is to do this. Read something that challenges the way you think or the way you live your life, and when you do, who wins? That's why I'm saying today... We will continue to bring this Word before you, but we all must be challenged by it. This is not a suggestion. This is the Holy Word of God. Two of you. I want you to read with me this morning because in Luke chapter 10, 
This is where we find the circumstances and the situation where Jesus found Himself and which prompted Him to give us the parable of the Good Samaritan. Follow with me, please, as I read it from the Scripture. Luke chapter 10, I'm starting with verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking Him this question, "'Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life?' Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say, and and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, right, you've got it. And what I read right here, it's just almost as if Jesus was saying, okay, and he was ready to move on and end the conversation. You're right, Jesus told him, so do this and you will live. Well, the man wanted to justify his actions, the Scripture tells us. And so he asked because I think he's looking for a loophole. I think he's looking for a way out from having to do all of that. So he wanted to justify his actions. He asked Jesus this, and who is my neighbor? I would suggest to you today he asked the wrong question. He asked the question, who is my neighbor? It seems to me he should have been asking Jesus, and what kind of neighbor am I? Jesus responds by telling him the parable of the Good Samaritan, moving on to verse 30. So Jesus is expounding on this. He responds by, by uh, he said, he replied with this story, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. And now we see three people who came by. By chance, a priest, or shall we say a pastor, came along. But when he saw the man lying there across the way, he didn't even get close. He crosses the street to the other side of the road and so he could pass him by. Next, we see verse 32, a temple assistant. Most versions are going to say a Levite. Let's say the music pastor walked over. He's the second one to come by. And he looked at him lying there. Wow, guys had a bad day. But then he passed on to the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man He felt compassion for him. What does the Samaritan do? He will first, he will, and then he will, and we're about to see he will. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn, inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you back the next time I'm here. So now Jesus says, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, well, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus ended it by saying to the scholar, yes, you're right. Now, you go and do the same. I ask again, Bethesda, is this authority in your life or is it a suggestion to you? A good Samaritan will see, will feel, and will act. Raymond Dunn Jr. was born in New York State in 1975. 
It was reported at the time of his birth that the baby had a skull fracture and severe oxygen deprivation causing extreme retardation. This boy would never be normal in any sense of the word. As he grew, other problems became known. He suffered up to 20 seizures per day. He was blind. He was mute. He was unable to move any part of his body. In addition to this, the young child had allergies to every kind of food except one. And that food is all that he could eat. It was a meat-based product that was only made by the Gerber Baby Food Company. In 1985, Gerber Foods stopped making that food. So in a panic that only a mother could know, his mother traveled throughout the country buying up all of that meat-based product that she could find in stores. But in 1990, her supply simply ran out. Knowing that her ill son would die without it, she appealed to the Gerber Food Company on compassionate grounds to start remaking it so her son could live. The employees of the company were willing to see and were willing to feel And in an unprecedented action, they volunteered hundreds of hours above their normal work shifts and brought out all the old equipment used to make the food that that mother needed for her son to live. With permission from the Food and Drug Administration, they were able to set up a production line and get all the necessary ingredients to start making that food again for just one boy, for no profit and for no personal rewards. In January of 1995, Raymond Dunn Jr., known as the Gerber Boy, died from his physical problems. However, through his very rough life and unbeknownst to him, he was responsible for seeing a revival in this nation for something called compassion. How many know we could do again with a revival of compassion? And I don't know about you. But what I saw on television of the courtroom in Dallas, Texas this week, I'm saying, God, give us a revival of forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Reading the parable of the Good Samaritan given to us by Jesus, we need to understand that this story is simply used as an example for the need for compassion. Now, the situation we find ourselves in, the ones that require our Compassion will be very different than the ones described by Jesus, but the issue remains exactly the same, and it is this. But Bethesda, listen to me carefully, please. I so want you to hear my heart today. How will we respond? How will you and I respond when compassion is called for? How will we respond when we see the need? Will we cross the road to the other side? Because according to this parable, there are only three ways to respond, and all three of them deal with our attitudes. The first way is what is example to us by the priest. He says, I don't care. I don't want to get involved. In fact, I'm going to go out of my way to be sure that I don't come in contact because this man, he placed work above people. That's the first way to respond. The second way is what the Levite example to us. He says, I don't care. I'll stop and look out of curiosity, and then I'll pass on by. I'm too busy to stop and help because he placed safety above compassion. And then the third way is the Samaritan. He says, I care enough to stop and do whatever I can do to help because he placed compassion above prejudice and opinion. Plenty of people do step number one, and they see. 
But they think if they pretend they didn't see the person, then they will not be expected to help them. Let me just put this in plain English here in North Fort Worth. When you're sitting at the light on Beach Street and the homeless person walks by your car, are you one of the ones who picks up your cell phone and pretend to be busy talking to someone and engage so that you can justify turning your head away and pretend that you don't see? The next person to pass the man on the road was a Levite temple assistant, verse 32. But unlike the priest before him, he at least stopped and checked the man out before turning away and continuing on his journey. But he did so without offering any help whatsoever. This Levite was yet another man who claimed to be godly, but acting in a most ungodly way. But then we have verse 33 where we see a hated Samaritan who happened to be coming by. Now, why was this Samaritan hated? Well, number one, he was from Samaria. Number two, he was part Jew and part Gentile. He represented a different ethnicity. He represented a different culture so that Jews avoided Samaritans and and, and hated them. So what we see in this story, and I hope you'll see it with me this morning, is that Jesus pulls out the race card to make his point about love and compassion. And he essentially, Jesus is saying essentially this to us, if you want to take your Christianity to a higher level, if you want to really show compassion, then you will go out of your way to see, to feel, and to act for someone who doesn't look like you, for someone who has a completely different life experience, someone who comes from a completely different culture, who may have a different value system about most everything, but who has, at least metaphorically if not literally, been robbed, beaten, dare I say tortured, and left for dead. And that's what Jesus says a good neighbor would do. They will see they will feel, and they will act. And it's why he gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan. Folks, as believers, we are called by God to show love and compassion to all other humans, no matter what they look like or who they might be. Because of a truth, we know this. They are someone for whom Jesus died and gave his life. In the book of James, chapter 2, we get a great example of how we are to demonstrate our faith. James explains this very well. He says in chapter 14 of verse 2, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Let me say it another way, Bethesda. What good is it, church, if you see and maybe even feel, but do not? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Verse 15. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a great day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Oh, I hear this so often. If I give them money, they're just going to spend it on drugs and alcohol, so I'm fully justified in not giving them anything. Really? Verse 17, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and what? 
Now, someone may argue, some people have faith. Others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good needs, James says. I will show you my faith by my good deeds.